Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So there was a church in a town and uh, had very little parking available to it on the streets and it was starting to grow in numbers. So there was a really serious problem with parking. But it was right next door to a small uh, mini supermarket grocery store and uh, it was the grocery store was closed on a Sunday. So the leaders of the church went to the owner of the store and said, you know, you're closed on a Sunday and we really need parking. Um, Would you allow our parishioners to park in your parking lot on Sundays? And the owner said, yes, of course, you can park in this parking lot for 51 Sundays. And they said, well, what about the 52nd Sunday? And he said, on the 52nd Sunday, I'm going to put a chain around the parking lot and you won't be able to park there. And they said, well, why? And he said, so that you'll remember that it's my parking lot. (laughs) That's what the parable is about. Jesus is talking about all, everything belonging to God in how uh, the chief priests and the Pharisees have forgotten that the temple and all of Israel is God's. And it's probably for us as well that we remember that everything belongs to God. So we remember the 52nd Sunday um, that all that we have and all that there is belongs to God. So Jesus uses this parable of a vineyard This imagery of the vineyard, as you can see from our texts, from both Isaiah and from Psalms, is a familiar one, or at least should be. But evidently, as Jesus gets into this parable, it's not until he addresses the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees directly that they actually get it, that he's talking to them. For in Isaiah, God has planted a vineyard, and that vineyard is Israel. It says, My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? In other words, God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. He brought them into the promised land, a fertile country, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he, he got rid of all of the stones, those things that came against the people of Israel, created safe borders and boundaries for them so that they would be a vineyard that would bring forth good fruit. But instead of good grapes, they brought forth bitter grapes, a bad harvest instead of a good harvest. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, says Isaiah, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected 
justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but heard a cry. That becomes even more emphatic in the Hebrew because there's a play on words. The word for justice in Hebrew is mishpat. The word for bloodshed, mispah. Mishpat, mispah. And they're hearing, not justice, bloodshed. Word for righteousness, tzedaka. The word for a cry, tzaka. You're doing exactly opposite. You're not doing what the Lord has required of you, says the prophet Isaiah. You've brought forth instead of justice, bloodshed. Instead of righteousness, a cry. And then subsequent verses of chapter 5 in this uh, chapter 5 of Isaiah, we find exactly what are the bitter grapes Israel has grown. Greed, self-indulgence, cynicism, moral perversion and social injustice. And because this vineyard has not brought forth justice and righteousness, a good harvest, God says he is going to take away the ball of protection around there and the wild animals are going to come in. Neither will there be rain to nourish the earth. It will become a wasteland. And in the psalm, there's a lament over what has become of the land. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared the ground for it. It took root and filled the land. Why have you broken down its wall so that all who pass by pluck off its grapes? Turn now, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven, behold and tend this vine, preserve what your right hand has planted. And so Jesus picks up this theme, this metaphor of the vineyard as he's telling this parable of the owner of the vineyard and the tenants in the vineyard. In Isaiah, it's the vineyard itself, which is Israel. In the parable, it's the tenants of the religious leaders, the leaders of Israel, who have become, or they consider themselves, the owners of the vineyard, instead of looking to the true owner of the vineyard. It says, the owner of the vineyard planted it, put a fence around it, just like in Isaiah, to protect it, put a watchtower in the middle of it so that they could climb up on the watchtower and see if there were any marauders who were going to come to destroy it or take it over and he even put a wine press in it so that the good grapes, the fruit of the vineyard, could be pressed into sweet wine good wine. And then he leased it out to tenants. He went away to a different country, leased it out to tenants to bring forth a good harvest. And when harvest time came, he sent his slaves to be able to get what was his due out of the harvest, to to be able to recover 
the fullness of what the harvest had brought forth. But when he sends his slaves, the tenants, wanting to keep it all for themselves, torture, stone, and kill his slaves. Now, what the owner could have done is sent in a whole military force, come with a whole military force, killed the tenants and taken back that which was his own. But in his grace, he sent yet more slaves to give them one more chance, to give the tenants one more chance to repent and to pay him what was his due. But they do exactly the same with the next load of slaves as they did with the first. And grace upon grace, he says, I'll send my son because surely they'll respect my son because he's the heir But instead of respecting the son, who is the heir, they think amongst themselves, if we kill him, we'll certainly be able to take over the whole thing as our our own anyway. Because haven't we been treating it as our own vineyard? And so they kill the son. And Jesus turns to his audience and says, so what should the owner do? They say, well, they should put those miserable tenants to a a miserable death and put new tenants in. Find new tenants for the vineyard. Those who will give him his due at harvest time. And Jesus goes from there to talk about a stone that the builders rejected. How does that tie in with a vineyard? Well, again, we've got to go back to the Hebrew because in Hebrew, son, the son who was not respected, the son who was rejected by the tenants, the son who was killed by the tenants, that in Hebrew is ben. The word for stone is even. And so the son who was rejected is the Eben, the cornerstone, the stone that was rejected from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 verses 32 to 34. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. In other words, the vineyard The true vineyard is actually going to have a cornerstone, an Eben, that has been rejected by the tenants, but that's the true foundation for the new vineyard. The vineyard that is going to produce the fruit, the fruit of God, the fruit that that God desires. The Ben, the son, has been rejected. The Eben has been rejected but it will be the foundation for the kingdom. And that's the tie-in. We're talking about kingdom. The vineyard is the kingdom of God. And so Jesus turns to his audience and says, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produce the fruits of the kingdom. 
And then he continues on with the imagery of stone. But now he's not referring back to Psalm 118. He's referring to Daniel chapter 2. If you remember the story of Daniel, Daniel was a young man who was taken from Israel into captivity in Babylon. You remember Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, his friends, who they were thrown into the fiery furnace, and then Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Well, Daniel was a a man who worshipped God. There was nothing that King Nebuchadnezzar or his nobles could do to prevent Daniel from daily being in prayer to God and worshipping God. And there was one time when King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and he wanted his wise men to be able to interpret it for for him. But he was wise enough to know that um, they could make anything out of this dream that they wanted to. So he said... I need you to tell me the dream first and then interpret the dream for me. Remember, dreams in the Middle East and even today have great value. And all of the wise men are going, nobody's ever been able to do that. Nobody's ever been able to actually tell somebody what they've dreamt and then interpret it. And in comes Daniel. He says, I can't do that, but the Lord God knows what you've been dreaming about. You've dreamt of an image that has as its head gold, shoulders and upper chest silver, lower chest bronze, legs iron and feet iron and clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze and the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. The one who falls on this stone, says Jesus, will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. The Ben, the son, who goes and is killed by the tenants in the vineyard, is the stone which was rejected but has become the chief cornerstone, the foundation stone for the kingdom of God. And any who falls on that stone, which is the foundation of Jesus Christ himself, or any on whom it falls, it will crush and it will become like the image in the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. For all of that image were different earthly kingdoms. The gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the iron and the clay were all earthly kingdoms. And the stone that was hewn out of by no human hand is the stone, is the kingdom of God that will crush all earthly kingdoms. 
All earthly kingdoms will fall on this stone. This kingdom, the kingdom of God, God's heavenly kingdom has come into the earth with Jesus Christ. It's not yet in its fullness as it will be at the end of the age, but the king has come. And he's spreading his kingdom like a great mountain that will fill the whole earth. But the kingdom of God has been given over to other people who will produce the fruits of the kingdom. It's a cautionary tale. Both Isaiah, the psalm, and this parable. For God requires good stewards of all that is his, and everything is his. It is all God's, and we are to be good stewards of it. We're to remember, just because we have the use of it for 51 Sundays out of the year, that on the 52nd we'll remember that we're not owners of it, We're just stewards of it. We've just been given it to look after, to bring forth justice and righteousness. I want to tell you that um, this past three weeks, I have seen such amazing stewardship of God's place here. And you know who you are. All of you who have been involved. But more than just this last three weeks, I look out at this congregation and I know that every single person here has a heart for stewarding God's earth, God's people, all things whether sacrificial financial giving, giving back to God a percentage of the 100% that he's given to you by your gifts, by quietly coming onto the campus. This last week on Friday, I went to see Sally, who's in hospital at, um, at Florida South. And I was talking about, um, you know, normally on a Friday, that's my sermon prep day, and I was kind of running out of time. And, and she said, Well, Reverend Sarah, you just need to tell everybody how amazing they all are. (laughs) She said, "Um, look, look at the people who quietly do so much stuff who do so much ministry. And she started calling off names and said, I bet nobody knows what they do. I bet nobody really knows what she does. Look, they come onto the campus um, late in the evening or they're here early in the morning or they've been at the rummage sale or they've been in the prayer ministry. And she went on and on and on. And I thought, you know, somehow or other, I've got to include that in this sermon. Because I am so grateful and so proud to be the rector of a congregation who have such deep hearts of being good stewards. Amen.